Okay, guys, very welcome back to the show. And today I have an exclusive that we just talked about <laughs> off camera. It's this man's first ever interview. Eddie Jackie, former WCW, WWF wrestler, and beyond that as well, which we'll talk about. Do you want me to call you Ed, Edward, or Eddie before we continue? Ed, Eddie's, Eddie's fine. Eddie's fine. I like, I like no, Eddie. I like really, appreciate, really appreciate you coming on first and foremost. I'm delighted to be your first interview. And we kick it off where I kick it off with all of them. Why did you want to go into the crazy wrestling business? You know what? It, I was just always a fan. I was in college. I'm playing baseball. Um, you know, I didn't make it in baseball. It wasn't good enough. And I thought, you know what? I need to do something athletic. I love the business. I grew up watching Florida Championship Wrestling. And um, I just knew I wanted to do it. So I looked up uh, an ad in the paper and saw wrestling school, called the number, and I went over there and it was the great Malenko, Dean Malenko's father. Met him. Um, unfortunately, I caught him on the back end of his life. You know, he was struggling with cancer. So Dean was the one who, who broke me in the business. He's the one that taught me how to wrestle. I mean, he definitely taught me how to wrestle, that's for sure. Nothing about promos, <laughs> but he knew how to wrestle, 100%. 100% knew how to wrestle. Yeah. How long did you train then with Dean for? Um, it was less than a year. Um, I'll never forget it. The first day he goes, come on, let's go for a walk. While everybody was in the ring, you know, practicing, he took me around the parking lot. He told me, ne I'll never forget it. He said, don't worry about wins or losses. Worry about how much money you make. He said, when you go to the bank and you ask for a mortgage, the bank is not going to ask you if you win or lose. They're going to say, what's your profession and how much do you make? And, and yeah. Winning and losing never bothered me. I watched guys, you know, the booker would come and tell them they would lose, and you could just see the looks on their faces, the devastation. All I cared about was making a making a paycheck, you know, and getting that high from the from the fans when you get out there, you know. So that's all that's all I cared about. I didn't I didn't yeah, I didn't I, never, I didn't love I didn't love the business like some guys did. I gotta be honest with you. There were some guys that just loved it they didn't care how the booker treated them they were just happy to be there or the promoter treated them they were just happy to be there i treated it as a business you know i wanted to make money but but i love doing it but i just didn't have that passion for it so when it became a headache i got out so yeah did you did you even feel from from starting we'll say your first match and then you were going to go through the motions and been like <clears throat> this isn't the long-term goal for me. Did you have that in your head all along? No, I wanted I wanted to be a long-term goal. Absolutely. I wanted to do it for at least 20 years. Uh, I wanted to make money, save my money and get out. You know, I was never in, I was never into the drug or alcohol scene. So I knew I was going to save my money. This is, this is how um, young and foolish I was at one time. I remember saying to somebody, if I could make a hundred thousand dollars a year for five years, I could retire. Because at the time I was living off of 500 a month. <laughs> so I, you know, I just didn't know any better, you know, but I'm so happy. I'm not in the business no more. I am so happy because I didn't realize how much pain I was in until about six months after I got out and I got out of, out of bed. My knees didn't pop. I walked around 
And I thought, oh my God, I didn't realize how much pain I was in until I was not in pain. You know, you get, you really got to, you got really have to have, you really have to have a threshold of pain to be in this business. Okay. And that's why a lot of guys do pills. You know, they do the, the drugs to mask the pain and I don't blame them. I really don't. I don't blame them. Don't blame them one bit. Yeah. Do you think if you had to stay in, maybe that was something that you might have had? to do down the line because of your body. oh absolutely absolutely i have taken some uh painkillers in the past so for yeah. example i was wrestling in the puerto rico territory and i blew my knee out i had no idea what was wrong with me all i knew is if i tell if i tell the the office that i'm hurt they're gonna send me home and i just can't tell them i need to stay so i just got on some painkillers um I remember there was some guys there. There was some there was some wrestlers from Mexico there, and I got some cortisone off them, and I shot my own knee up with cortisone. I'll never forget it. I took the same needle, shot myself three different times in the same knee, just to mask the pain. It was probably the worst thing I could have ever done for myself. And then years later, I wound up blowing the knee out again while I was snow skiing in Lake Tahoe, and that was pretty much the cause of it. But I definitely got it fixed after that. I, I had surgery and had my PCL ligament repaired. So, yeah, it happens to everybody. I'm telling you, everybody walks around in pain. I don't. I, you know, I'm a big believer in stretching and working out. I mean, hell, I own two health clubs. I mean, that's what I do now. So I definitely am a big believer in taking care of your health. Okay. But and what's, and what's funny is I'm a lot bigger. I'm a lot bigger. Than I was when I wrestled. I mean, when I wrestled, I was 250 pounds, six foot three. Now I'm like 280, but I'm 280 pounds with lower body fat than I was when I was 250. So, you know, who knows? But I'm 50, what I'm 52 now. So, I mean, I could still go if I had to, but, you know, I choose not to. <laughs> when was your last official match then? Uh, I, believe, I know. I believe it was uh, probably the year 2000. You know, it was over 20 years ago. I remember I worked some local show here in Florida and the kid, whoever I worked, I don't remember his name, but he lost his way. He had no idea what he was doing. And I just got very angry. I ate him up. Um, I went to the back. He thanked me up and down. He apologized because he knew he screwed up. And I remember one of the older the more experienced wrestlers in the territory here in Florida found out I ate the kid up, but he didn't know why. And then he called me up just screaming at me, yelling at me. It doesn't matter who it was. I know who it was, but I'm not going to say, but he screamed at me, yelled at me. And I just thought, you know what? This is just not worth my headache anymore. You know, but, but, but after that, I've already had my tryouts with Vince. You know, I already had my tryouts with Vince McMahon and that didn't go so well. So, in my mind, I thought I was probably going to get out of business anyway, because at that time, if you're somebody in your in your 30s, you were considered old. Now it's the norm. But back then, 20 years ago, if you were if you were 35, I mean, I was probably 30 years old. If you were 35, you were considered an old man and you should you should quit, you know. But that just goes to prove that I didn't love the business as much as other people. Because if I loved it, I probably would have kept with it, you know, but to me, it was a business. So I had, I had a big tryout with Vince didn't go so well. So I thought to myself, you know what, I'm never going to have another tryout again, probably for at least three years. I'm like, I don't need this bullshit. I don't need this local you know, like Florida guy giving me a bunch of bullshit. 
you know, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just done. And I'll never forget it. I told my wife at the time, Hey, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to focus on being a health club is my career. And, um, I, I regret doing it, but I kind of don't, I threw away all my wrestling gear on purpose because because over the years you would see guys coming back you know you would see guys coming back to wrestle and it was kind of pathetic to be honest with you it was kind of pathetic you would see these guys who didn't look the part but in their mind their 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 mind was still there and they just would come back and just they would look foolish to be honest with you they would just look foolish and i didn't want to be that guy i didn't want to come back and go hey it's me it's eddie jackie coming back and I didn't want to be foolish. So, you know, I just, I made a decision and I just threw all my gear away, you know? So, you know, a lot of people go, I wish you had your old gear. Probably could sell it now, but, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. you know, nah, I, I, you know, I got, I got photos and stuff. That's all I need. I got photos and some posters, but you know, you know, I got to experience the world. I didn't make that much money, but at least I got to see the world. I got to go to Japan and Mexico and Puerto Rico and, you know, around the Southeast and the Northeast. So I got to do some stuff, not, not too bad. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of your matches are actually on YouTube as well. A lot of the WCW and WWF ones are there as well. Yeah. There's a lot, of, there's a lot of, there. yeah, I know there's, there's a lot of enhancement matches on there, you know, and people don't realize I'm just as big as these guys. And, yeah. you know, it's, um, you know, a lot of those, I, a lot of those guys, find, a lot of those guys, they're all great guys. They're all great guys. I, you know, of course, you can have a couple of assholes, but for the most part, everybody was nice to me. Um, and in WCW, everybody was great. I never really had any issues in WCW. I got to see some, I got to see some comical things like Paul Orndorff beating up Vader. That was right in front of me. That was fantastic. Yes, I, love, I love watching that. Let's, um, let's, let's talk about that one. Okay. <laughs> So I'm, I'm down there in center stage in Atlanta and I'm getting some coffee. I'm the only one in the hallway and I see Vader walking in and I think he just, I believe he just signed his big contract and Paul Mordorff's on the other side of the hallway and he just became an agent and he was, I, I believe he was, he had something to do with interviews that day and he just starts yelling at Vader about why aren't you there? Why, you know, this, this, and this. And Vader just starts yelling back at him. And then they just get closer and closer. And then next thing you know, they start swinging on each other. And then Vader slips. Because Vader would kill Paul Orndorff. I mean, Paul Orndorff's small. He's a small guy. Great guy. Paul Orndorff was awesome to me. I don't want... But Vader's like four, over 400 pounds. Paul Orndorff's just over 200. Luckily for Paul, Vader slipped. And when Vader slipped, he couldn't get back up. Because he's just so wobbly. <laughs> he was just, he had that big center. He had that big center. And, uh, and I've worked with Vader before. And I mean, he's a big guy. But Paul just started kicking him in the face. And I, and I remember the only person trying to break it up was Dick Slater. Dick Slater was the only person trying to break it up. And I remember watching the whole thing going, you know, I'm just the, the low man on the pole. I'm not getting involved, but I'm thought, how are some of the veterans not breaking this up? I don't know why. I mean, I have no idea. Usually back then they just let them go, I guess. Now that probably would never happen. But yeah, unfortunately, uh, Vader got the bad part of that and got kicked in the face the whole time, you know? So, 
you know, and then I think he, I think he lost his contract right after that. Yeah, he had a sketchy reputation with a lot of guys that that I've talked to that were up against him as we say enhancement talent as well. I know you fought him in WCW. How was he with you? Was he stiff? Was he? He rough? was fine to me. He was fine to me. You know what was funny? We're in the back. We're in the back, and before we go out there, he's going over some spots, and he goes, "I want you to throw a punch to me, and 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 hit me in the face." And I said, "Okay." So. I don't even come close to him. And he goes, no, hit me. He goes, seriously, hit me. I hit him. His lip starts bleeding. <laughs> In my mind, I'm going, I am a effing dead man. I am so dead. We went out there. We had a great match. We, you know, we basically it was a squash match because that's, he was being pushed heavy at that time. But afterwards, what was so funny was he comes running up to me just like a little boy and he gives me a hug and thank you so much thank you so much oh my god that was great and it just goes to show you that in this business there was always a pattern of if you were a heel you were probably the nicest guy behind the scenes and you were face eh, you know there were some nice guys but then there was some sketchy guys too because you know you, it's like it's like you play the opposite of who you are does that make sense? You know, yeah. you, you play the opposite. You, you're the opposite of who you are, you know? So, you know, I don't know. Um, I think I think that's the nicest thing that somebody has worked with later has said about it. There's a lot of people I've talked to Bob. To Bob but, but you Bob know what? But, but, I gotta, but I gotta admit, I never took shit from people, you know? I always looked guys in the eye. I always, you know, I stood my ground. Um, what did you say, Haku as well? No, Bob he, Bob Cook worked a lot with Vader. Oh, he, Bob he, Cook, he yeah, avoided, yeah, Bob Cook. Bob actually managed to avoid working with Vader. Sorry, that's his story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what's funny. You know what's funny about Bob? I met him one time. I I'm I'm friends with him on Facebook, and I and I love his posts. I follow him all the time. And if you and if you're and if you don't, you should. He's a great guy. Like he loves Evil Knievel. He loves the business. Um, I wish I had his attitude. I really did. But I met him one time and he was so nice to me and ne never an issue with Bob. Um, but everybody knows Bob Cook. You know, he was a Malenko guy as well. He was taught by Malenko as well. But I never, I, ne I didn't know him while I was in the business. That's the funny part. I think he might have been out of the business while I don't know. It was, I think he was out of it by the time I got into it. And, uh, but his reputation definitely precedes him. I mean, everybody likes Bob 100%. Yeah. Was your first official match in WCW against Stunning Steve Austin? No, my first, I mean, that was my first WCW match. That's, believe it or yeah. not, that's when I got hooked in the business. Because yeah. I was work, I was working the independent scene in Florida. And, you know, the uh, Dean Malenko, he, he was running some promotions, some other guys, Frankie Reyes. Um, you know, when I was having these local matches with these guys, you know, and, and they were fine. They were great guys. But when I worked that first match with Stunning Steve Austin, and I didn't even know who he was. That's the other kicker. Like, I I nobody, didn't follow, nobody did I never followed the regional scenes. I never followed, you know, um, you know, I never really followed the, you know, the world-class wrestling. I never followed uh, Deep South wrestling. I just never did. I just, I, I kept with, I kept with uh, championship wrestling from Florida and WWF. That's pretty much what I watched. Yeah. Um, 
so I didn't know who studying Steve Austin was. So when I started talking to him, I, I was just asking him the funniest questions. How long you been doing this? Like, like I'm asking him, like I'm interviewing him in the locker room. And he probably thought I was the biggest dope in the world, but he treated me great. And when we went out there, the, 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 how fast he was and how crisp he was, I said to myself, this is where I need to stay. I need to stay here because the level of talent that I'm working with here in WCW far exceeds the independent scene in Florida. Okay. So we had a great match. We went to the back, shook hands, went our way. And then Jody Hamilton, the assassin, called for me. You know, he had somebody get me in the locker room. And I thought, oh, my God, what did I do wrong? And he just gave me some pointers, you know. And that was great of him. He was – Jody Hamilton was always nice. I mean, great guy to me. I always called him Mr. Hamilton to show my respect. But, you know, he was always a great guy to me. Um, and, you know, he was pretty much in charge of the power plant, I believe. I believe so. I think he was in charge of the power plant in Atlanta. But um, he was always a great guy to me. I remember one time I visited the power plant and I'm, you know, and I'm a kid. I'm such a moron. He goes, hey, he goes, why don't you stay? And I'm like, no, I got to go back to Tampa. He was pretty much inviting me to stay every day at the power plant. Okay. But I'm a moron. I'm like, I got a job back home. It's not a real job. I mean, I should have stayed. I, <laughs> I, I had a, you know, what's funny was I had a friend who lived in Atlanta at the time. I, I, I should have just slept on his couch and went to the power plant every day. That's what I should have done. But I'm a moron. You know, I'm a kid. I'm, you know, in my, in my mid 20s. I'm a moron. You know, just like every other mid 20 kid, you know, you don't, you don't know any better. But if I did it now, of course, think, I'd stay. Do you think if you had to stay in the power plant, you would have ended up being longer in the business? Uh, I mean, I've, of course, that's a possibility. I mean, you don't really know. I mean, it, it, it couldn't have hurt me to do that, it, it would only made me better. When I when I really got better, um, Fidel Sierra, Fidel Sierra, the Cuban assassin, he got me the introduction to Ricky Santana, and they both vouched for me, and I got booked in the Puerto Rico territory. And they asked me because I because I kept telling everybody I want to do this for a living, you know, because I was always a big believer in if you say you're going to do it, you're going to do it. Okay, let make people take you seriously. And that I've always had. I don't know why, but I've always had that. So when Fidel and Ricky got me booked, I worked the Puerto Rico territory, I believe, for about a year. I was the first match on the card. I lost every night. And I said, thank you. I never had a, never had a problem with anybody. And believe it or not, uh, I think it was Carlos Colon and Victor Juvica were in charge. And they liked me. I mean, they, I never gave them a hard time. And everybody has a story when they leave the Puerto Rico territory that they don't get their money. I got my money. I, I walked away that first time with all my money. And I remember Fidel saying, he gave you all your money. I go, yeah, why? Like, I didn't think it was a big deal. And he just goes, wow. Now, years later, when they booked me again, then I, then I started realizing what was going on because Later on, years later, I went back as the perfect 10 and, you know, I was a mid card guy, you know, I was winning, mostly winning. Um, but I kept, you know, you know what? I, I wasn't demanding more money. I was just trying to get my, they were, they always, they would always play catch up with you. They would always go, Oh, we only got 200 for you this week. 
or we only got 300 for you this week. And then you then next thing you know, you're behind, you're behind, you're behind. So finally I had to take a stand and I said, you know what? I called the office and I said, I'm leaving, I'm quitting. And they begged me to stay. And that's when I realized, Hey, you know what? I got some power here. So Carlos got on the phone with me. He assured me he was going to pay me, pay me what he owed me. And he did over the next couple of weeks, he caught up with me and I stayed. And then, um, you know, and then I, I think I got, I met Victor Jovica. You know what I'm talking about? Victor Jovica. Yeah. So I met him. He just, he, I saw him take on, um, Sean Morley, who worked as Val Venus. I saw him take on Sean Morley and got him booked in Mexico. And next thing you know, Sean's in WWF. So the balls I have on myself, I call Victor Jovica up and I just say, Hey, I want to see if you want to do some business. He's like, what do you mean? And I said, well, if you can get me booked, I'll, I'll give you a percentage of what I earn. You can be my agent. So he invited me out to dinner. He was always professional with me. And next thing I know, I'm going to Mexico. So before I go to Mexico, Puerto Rico, you know, they pretty much screwed me out of my last couple of checks. Okay. Because they knew I was leaving. Yeah, they know you're leaving. But I think I think it was like maybe fifteen hundred dollars. I mean, but back then, 20, 25 years ago, it's a lot of money for us. Um, so I go to Mexico, and and Victor Jovic, I'm sorry, Victor uh, Quinones, he says, "Hey, there's a new guy. I want you to uh, watch over." I go, "Who is this?" Oh, this guy Ricky, and it turned out to be Ricky Banderas. Okay, so Ricky Banderas. <laughs> He's never wrestled a match in his life. He's in Mexico with me. So I have to help him along. He's a good kid. He was, you know, greener than grass, but a good kid. Um, you know, and it, you always hear these rumors. Oh, he's, he's Victor's boy. He's Victor's boy. I'm like, I don't care. I'm just, I'm worried about me. You know, this is a business. So I worked down there with uh, Ricky Banderas um, for a little while. You know, I think we were only there for like three or four months. We worked mostly uh, out of Monterey, Mexico, and we worked a lot of the um, the border the border towns of Mexico and the United States. Okay. So I remember every Saturday. I think it was every I think it was every Saturday we would be in Laredo, Texas. So every Saturday I would take the money I made in Mexico and I would mail it home. So I have to go across the border, go to the post office, get a money order with my cash, and send it back. I am not joking, Maurice. Every time I went over that border, I got strip searched every week. Hey. It got so comical when I walked across the border. I said, hey, guys, I'm here. You ready to search me again? They're like, yep, come on in. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was bad. It was not good. They, they must have thought, I don't know. They must have thought I was smuggling or something. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. It's crazy. Um, Someone looking yeah. to know was was Dutch Mantel involved with the booking in Puerto Rico? No, I never met I never met Dutch Mantel once, never, and I doubt he would know who I am. Never met that guy once. Um, the the booking down there in Puerto Rico was mostly Ricky Santana. Uh, I think Ellen Ellen Vader, Vader number one. He was booking down there. That that guy's pretty comical. Um, he really believes who he is. So, Invader number one, he had that thing with Bruiser Brody. Yeah. What you know? But but here's how pathetic I am. I'm a kid. 
I had no idea he even killed Bruiser Brody. I had no idea when I got there. I have no idea. So we're in a tag match with him. In the middle of the ring, I spit on him. I take oh, a big loogie and I just spit on him. I'm with Fidel Sierra in the ring. He's like, oh, my God, what are you doing? You're going to get us both killed. And I'm like, what's he talking about? I don't know. Um, but before that match, the, the finish of the match is uh, somehow I pin Elevator. Okay. This guy, I don't know who he is. First time meeting him. He literally says to me, amigo, he's going to hit me over the head with the bat. He's going to pull you on top of me. You're going to pin me one, two, three. And then you can go back to the United States and tell all your friends that you pinned Ellen Vader. And he's telling me this like he is serious. And I went, doesn't this guy know it's a work? It's, it's fake. What's he talking about? <laughs> he's crazy. And he was just an angry guy. He was just a very angry guy. When I worked with him, you know, two separate times for a year. Just an angry guy. Just a bitter, angry guy. Probably because... He probably thought he'd be he should be in the WWF. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of looking back on it. You know, and, and, and don't get me wrong, he knew his way around a ring. I mean, anytime I worked with him, I mean, he called the whole match. He knew what he was doing, hundred percent, and he was calm, cool, and collective. I mean, easy, easy, very easy to work with. But in the locker room, he really believed who he was, or he or he he must have thought he had this reputation of, you know, hey, everybody's afraid of me because. You know, he killed Bruiser Brody, unfortunately. So, yeah. yeah. Some of the, some, some guys, they, a lot of people in the business say, don't know when to switch the red light off, so to speak. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah there was some there was some characters I've worked with in Puerto Rico. Um, I worked with, you know, hell, I lived, I lived with Val Venus. I lived with D'Lo Brown. Um, Oh, who's the other guy? He he worked at Skull Skull Von Crush. Uh, Vito 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 Big Vito. Oh, Vito Grosso, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big Vito. All great guys. Yeah. All great guys. Ricky Santana, Fidel Sierra, um, the Shane, the Canadian Glamour Boy. Um, you know, we we all hung out. You know, they're all they're all great guys. You know, some of them made it, some of them didn't. I mean, a guy like a guy like Shane, the Canadian Glamour Boy. I believe he's. I just talked to him. A few months back, he's um, he owns a hauling business or junk junk removal business. I don't know okay. if you've heard of this or not. You know, you ever heard of that one eight hundred got junk? It's like a they they hire the companies to remove your junk. Like if you got a pile yeah. of garbage, so so he was doing that here in the Tampa area. So I would talk to him from time to time. So there was somebody that needed his business. So I called him up to refer him, and he said he moved to Mississippi. So he's in Mississippi doing the same thing up there. Um, but he has his own business. He seems very happy. He seems very content with what he has. But that's a kid that he was one hell of a worker, one hell of a worker. But for one reason or another, didn't make the big, you know, didn't make it to the big time all the way. You know what I mean? But that's a very common tale, very common tale. And that's one of the reasons why I got out of the business, because the, odd, the odds of you making it and sustaining that for a long period of time are slim to none. You know, you really, you really have to be obsessed and want it bad. I mean, obsessed is the word. You really got to be obsessed to want it. So, and I didn't, I wasn't obsessed. 
Well, you sent me you sent me a few points yesterday for this interview on the screen. One of the things that I was looking at to say on my phone was um, you've done some work as the fake sting. So that's that's interesting. <laughs> Tell me about yeah. that and, and how that came about. Well, remember when they all remember WCW? They would have these fake stings coming out, mm-hmm. and sometimes there's ten of them. Sometimes there's five of them. I was always one of those guys. Oh, it was it was a pretty simple part. No talking. No. You know, like I think one time in Biloxi, Mississippi, I'm on the Monday Nitro. I come out, I come out through the door, through the entrance. Hogan's in the ring um, with some of his cronies, and then uh, then I come walking out. And then he gets scared, and then all of a sudden the cage drops. The cage uh, surrounds Hogan, and then the NWO comes out, hits 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 me from behind. That's all. That's all. That's the only work I got. I just get up and go back, and then Piper comes out, Sting comes out. You know, it wasn't that much. You know, it wasn't that much. Oh, I do. You know what? I do remember after that, Eric Bischoff came to the back with Hogan and everybody, and he was just jacked up. Like, he just loved it. He just started going on and on and how great it was. I mean, you could tell how happy he was just – he was happy doing that job. You know, and that and that's exciting to look at. At the time, as a kid, I'm saying to myself, "This is a work. It's just a business." But that was a guy that he was truly happy doing it. He was he was so excited being in front of the camera, doing it. He loved doing it, and that's probably why he was successful too. Because when you love doing something, and plus you have that obsession like he did, you're going to be successful. You know, I, I loved it, but I didn't have the obsession. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. he was here actually a couple of weeks ago. Um, Eric Bischoff, he was doing a kind of a spoken word tour and meet and greet with people, talking about obviously the usual stuff, Monday Night Wars, etc. etc. Seemed a nice guy to me. What was your experience like working with him? I mean, I didn't really work with him that much. I mean, not one on one or nothing like that. Um, yeah, like I said, I keep referring to myself as a kid at the time, and I would just do stupid things <laughs> like. For example, I'm dressed up in the fake sting outfit. I have the mask on. I walk up to him and thank him for letting me be here. He doesn't know who I am. He doesn't, I, I would be shocked if that guy knew who I was at the time. And he's just going, okay, okay. I mean, I've done more stupid things than you can imagine. I mean, looking back on it, you just it's comical. It really is it's really comical. You know? What's- um one time, one time we're working at, and this is where I'm shocked I didn't get beat up. Uh, we were at, I think we were at Disney World at MGM Studios doing TV tapings. And Scott Norton is there with a bunch of other guys, and they're cutting up. Well, Scott Norton says something to me to cut me up. Can I curse on this podcast? You can say whatever the hell you want. Uh, I, I literally look at him and I go, shut the fuck up. And he just starts laughing. And the whole place got silent. But two things could have happened. I could have pretty much got my ass whipped, but pretty much I'm on Disney property. He ain't going to do nothing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. However, maybe I got some respect, you know. But then again, maybe maybe he goes behind the scenes and tells somebody, don't book this guy too much anymore. You know. Anything could have happened. I don't, and, and, and odds are he didn't. Odds are he done nothing. I worked with Scott one time, 
And uh, no problem. I think actually, I think I worked his first match in WCW when he came to WCW. I worked his first match, um, and I had no clue who he was. He was one big son of a bitch. That's for sure. I mean, big chest, big shoulders, big arms. I think it was a arm wrestling champion or something like that. Serious Oh yeah. Um, one time I'm working. One time I'm, I got to tell you this story. So one time. I'm working at the Gold's Gym in St. Petersburg, and I'm wrestling the the Florida shows, and I'm trying to get booked anywhere I can. The Undertaker walks into the gym. He just moved to the area. He just moved to a place called Tierra Verde down in uh, St. Petersburg on the water. I go introduce myself. I get him a free membership. And I said, hey, I'm a wrestler. I really, you know, I, I really, I need some help. And he just goes, Hey kid, get me a tape. So I get it. I put it, put a V. This is back when VHS tapes were around. I get a VHS yeah. tape ready to go. Next time he walked in the gym, I handed him tape. He gives me his phone number. So for about two months, I call him once a week. Hey, did you get a chance to look at my video? Hey, did you get a chance to look at my video? Nope, not, not yet, not yet, kid. He's on the road. He ain't looking at videos. So he gets back to town. Uh, this is probably like three months later. He walks into the gym and he goes, I saw your tape. I was pleasantly surprised. He goes, let's have lunch. Great. So now I'm obsessed calling him once a week to have lunch. So then... One, so then we schedule a lunch. He goes, all right, meet me at the gym at 2 o'clock. So I meet him at the gym at 2 o'clock. He shows up in a Corvette. So if you know anything about Corvettes on how small they are, me and this guy get into his Corvette. It's the most comical thing you've ever seen. There's no way we can fit in Corvettes. Right as we pull out of the parking lot, he almost kills us. He pulls up. He pulls right in front of a school bus. The school bus almost destroyed us. I thought I, I thought I ended my life. He had to put the gas on. We literally went from five miles an hour to probably like sixty miles an hour in two seconds. I mean, it was crazy. But we, you know, we he took me out to sushi. We had sushi. We talked about a lot of stuff. And then at the very end of the lunch, he said, "Hey, he goes when when the when the show comes to Tampa for a house show, I'm going to put you on a dark match." He goes, "Find an opponent. Get an opponent." So um, who did I get? Uh, there was a guy named Leroy Howard. He worked as a Navy SEAL. Have you heard of him? Um, no. So I asked Leroy. Oh, you know, actually, you know what was funny? I asked two other guys before Leroy, and they said no. I said, buddy, I go, we have an opportunity as a dark match on a WWF show, and you're saying no? And they did. So these are guys that are just scared. They're scared to go to the big time. It's amazing, but that's the thing I believe. There's guys out there that just work local shows, and they have they they can't do the big time. There's no way. So me and Leroy, we uh, there was a place called the Sun Dome in Tampa, the University of South Florida, and um, you know we we had the first match of the night. I they actually put me over. Um, oh yeah, here's another stupid thing I did. Um, who's the um, Who's the um, who's the who's the first Intercontinental Champion for WWF? The um, Honky Tonk Man. No, 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 no. The, the original, the first Intercontinental Champion, the guy that was Vince's uh, right hand man forever. 
Oh, Johnny Ace, is it? No, no, no. The older guy. He's he's passed away already. Oh, Pat Patterson. Yeah, yeah, Pat Patterson. So Pat Patterson comes yeah. to me and he goes, "This is this is how much of a moron I am." He goes, "Okay, guys, when you go out there to work, keep everything in the ring. Don't go don't go outside the ring." This is me. Yeah, but part of the match is going outside the ring. I'm going outside the ring. This is what I say to him. I'm such a moron. And I did it. I worked outside the ring. I'm such an idiot. And then you wonder why I never, I never get hired. You know, you just, I've had so many opportunities and they just, I just blow them. You know, I blew the opportunity. Every one of them I blew. Never, never had one. So that, so that was one opportunity that I had that I just blew it. But, you know, we had, a, we had an okay match. Nothing, nothing to write home about. Um, so another time I got to try out, okay, this is a great story. My brother calls me up who he's an airline. My brother, Martin, great guy. He's an airline pilot for American airlines. To this day, he's still an airline pilot. He calls me up out of the blue and he goes, Hey, guess who I had on my flight? I said, I don't know. Vincent Linda McMahon. And I said, oh, that's great. And he goes, guess what I did for you? And I go, what? He goes, I got you a tryout. I go, how did you get me a tryout? Like, you're not in the business. He walks out to first class. And he says, oh, Vince McMahon, nice to meet you. Hey, you should come see what I see here in the cockpit. And, I got, and Vince goes, yeah, okay, I'll go up there. This is before 9-11. He opens <laughs> up the cockpit. He, go, he takes Vince into the cockpit. Closes the door behind him and just starts like talking about me the whole time. Oh, he's with he's living with Val Venus, he's living with D'Lo Brown, he works the Puerto Rico territory. This, this, just talking great about me. So Vince just says to him, he writes down my name and he goes, Well, if you're if your brother's in the business, he knows how to get a hold of me, tell him to call my office and we'll schedule a tryout. And I was shocked. I called his office, talked to his secretary. Yeah, we've been expecting your phone call. Oh, he said, she, she goes, somebody will get somebody will get a hold of you. So next thing I know, I got Howard Finkel calling me. This guy's hilarious. On the phone, he's talking to me like he's talking to me like he's announcing a match. Hey, this is Howard Finkel with the WWF. Congratulations, you are receiving a tryout. I just started laughing. <laughs> I was like, this guy is so corny. I mean, it was just funny. So uh, they fly me up to Connecticut. And there were some other people there that uh, I've never seen again. Um, the limo picked you up from the airport, drove me to the hotel. And then Howard Finkel drove a van, picked up all the people from the hotel. He drove the van. We took him to, he took us to a warehouse um, where they had a ring set up. Um, and then Terry Taylor walked in, and I believe uh, Bruce Pritchard was there. I think it was either Bruce or Tom. And uh, But here was the part of the tryout that I was horrible at. At the time of the tryout, I wasn't in shape. I mean, I, I looked all right, but cardio-wise, I wasn't that great. So I'm working some guy. Uh, well, first I worked with Scotty Tuhati. He was there. He was, he was easy to work with. And then I worked with some guy who was trying to betray himself as a Middle Eastern character. So I do a splash off the top rope. But he, when you take the splash, you're supposed to keep your arms in. His arms are out. So my knee goes right into his arm. 
I don't know if I broke his arm or something. I don't know, but they blame me. And, and in my mind, I'm going, eh, like my knees, I mean, if you're like this, my knees aren't hurting you. My, my knee's not going to hit your arm, you know? Yeah. But of course, you get stereotyped as you hurt somebody. So I blew that tryout. So that was another tryout I blew, which is pretty comical. Yeah. You, you ended up on, on WWF television as well in that handicap match against Steve Austin. That was in 1996, wasn't it? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah Steve actually remembered me from WCW. I remember that. He was getting it. Was, he was finally. Uh, drawing some steam and I remember them saying oh you're going to take the, school, the Stone Cold Stunner and I go what's that <laughs> yeah. I don't like I was so big I think I just got back from Puerto Rico I was I, I wasn't it's hard like I wasn't following everything like I should have been I should have been following that was, everything that was right before they kind of really pulled the trigger with him though as well yeah did you find yeah. any different did you find any difference in working with him with say early WCW into WWF, obviously his style had changed and no he was, he was no he was always no he was always great to me that Steve, mm. I you know I would be I would wonder if he would remember me because I worked with him like four times. I mean he was great to me. He was easy to work with. Um I mean just a total professional probably one of the best workers I've ever worked with hundred percent because I was actually only watched that match earlier and the intensity in it, everything looks real in it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, but did you see the stunner I took? It was horrible. <laughs> I, took, <laughs> I, I had no idea what it was. You know, you should have took it back and then take a bump back, and I just went boom, it rolled over. Yeah. I mean, it was horrible. If you watch that, it was probably the, one of the worst bumps on a, st a stone cold stunner ever. It was horrible. Yeah, that was that was the early days of the stunner, though. So you could be forgiven for that. I know, I know. I, I get a pass for that. And you won the match. <laughs> I didn't pit him though. <laughs> the other guy. No, pit he didn't him. pit him. But you still have the W beside your name. Oh lord, who cares? I probably got paid like three hundred bucks or something. What was funny is with WWF, you would go to these matches, and the guy would come out with a briefcase full of cash, and they would just hand cash. To everybody got in line and handed cash to everybody. It was crazy. And I don't even believe I gave my social security number to anybody. I, it was just the most comical thing ever. I was like, this is like the mob running it. I don't know. It was just really crazy. Yeah, they just they just kind of book guys dependent on their location is the way it worked. Back yeah, then, it? yeah, that's pretty much what they do. Yeah, I think that was in uh, Daytona Beach. That was in Daytona Beach. Oh yeah, so we're in Daytona Beach. I'm I'm sitting next to. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting there outside in the hallway next to Navy SEAL, Leroy Howard, and a couple other guys. And I think, um, uh, what's his name? Um, who's the guy that carries the two-by-four? Hacksaw, Jim. Hacksaw, Jim. So Hacksaw, who's not working for WWE, he comes walking in. Like, I just, I just like, blurt out, what's he doing here? He already had his shot. I'm like, I'm a moron. Luckily, nobody heard me, but... I'm just like, I'm such an idiot. I mean, the things I say, the things that come out of my mouth are just comical. I mean, just comical. I mean, you, you wonder why you wonder why I never got a big-time contract. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, 
you said it, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about WCW, you kind of said uh, Hogan was in the ring with his cronies. I know you didn't work, like you say, directly with him, but did you find that he had a lot of power back then? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I see Hogan more around my area. I like where, the, you know, where, um, you know, that house he had Hogan's Knows Best? The Hogan yeah. Knows Best house? That's That's like two miles from me here. I live in Bel Air, Florida, where he did. It's two miles from my house right now. Okay. Now, he doesn't live there anymore. He lives on uh, North Clearwater Beach. But I see him more around. He'll either come to my gym and work out or I'll see him walking around, you know, Hogan's Hangout or something like that. But he's been always nice to me. I got his phone number. I mean, um, I think I – yeah, I had, a, I had to get a hold of him because I had to get a, a – I had to get a world championship belt for my um, – my niece is the husband. He's a big fan of WWF, so I got a, I got him a signed belt, you know. So he didn't give it to me. I paid for it, which is I didn't wasn't asking for anything for free, but you know, but uh, I don't know him that well. I he probably knows me as the guy who owns Gold's Gym, you know. I told him I was in the business before, and he kind of just like oh, okay, you know. If it, you know, he didn't know me. He doesn't really know me. Nobody knows me. Come on, Maurice. Nobody knows me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, do you keep in touch with anyone from the business? Um, I talked to, uh, you know, I talked to Mike Moran. He's one of the Texas hangmen. I talked to him from time to time. Ricky Santana. He lives in Orlando, I believe. Um, you know who I talked to probably about a, a year or two ago was Diamond Dallas Page. Um, no, actually, I saw one of the Bushwhackers. He was in my gym, uh, Bushwhacker Luke. He was working out at my gym. And... What's funny is I had to tell him I was in the business too. He peppered me with questions about Puerto Rico because he worked there a lot. And once I answered him correctly, he knew I was in the business. And then I, I think he must have saw some videos. But I said to Luke, I said, hey, man, can you? because he was telling me how he was talking to DDP. I said, hey, can you, uh, can you see if DDP remembers me? Because I want to talk to him about bringing his yoga, bringing his yoga into, my, into my gyms. So he got me his number. I texted him back and forth and we talked on the phone and I asked him, I said, do you remember me? And he goes, absolutely. Eddie. I goes, I, he was, I remember you. Um, he wound up sending me, he gave me a free um, a subscription on his DDP app. He sent me some yoga mats, uh, a hurry monitor. What a class act this guy is. DDP is a class act, hundred percent class act. And he said he's doing better than he's ever done. He said he makes more money doing yoga than he ever wrestled. And I believe that. I do believe that because, you know, doing the health and fitness thing is important. I mean, everybody just needs to take care of their take care of themselves. If there's any advice I would have to give somebody to be healthy, just eat breakfast. Eat something <laughs> healthy within a half hour after you wake up in the morning. You have to be disciplined to do it. But I'm telling you, it'll kickstart your metabolism. If you just have a bowl of oatmeal, sprinkle some protein powder in it you will feel so much better than you not eating nothing in the morning. Okay. So that's my, uh, my that's my public service announcement. <laughs> Have you partaken in DDP yoga yourself? Absolutely. It's a hundred. It's the real thing. It's really, it's great. Tremendous. I highly recommend DDP yoga to everybody. It works. Okay. I mean, look, I don't do it all the time, but I I'm six, three, two eighty. I can almost do a split, okay? Um, 
I mean, I can show you some stretches right now. You'd, you'd be amazed. I mean, I can do it right now in front of you. I mean, I could take my, I could take my, I could just take, put my hand on my foot and bring it up over my head. Okay. But I'm in the gym every morning. Okay. I'm in the gym every morning. I wake up at five. I'm at the gym by six. I eat healthy. Okay. I'm in better shape now than I ever was wrestling. Okay. But I'm, I'm, I'm helping my community. I mean, I own the gold's gym in Tampa and in, um, I'm on the, I'm on the border of a two cities called Clearwater and Largo, Florida. I own a gym there as well. I got a few thousand members in each gym and I consistently have to help people lose weight, build their confidence. Okay. I mean, there's some really wrecked people out there that have no idea what they're doing. Um, I do tell everybody over for, after 40 years old, you know, look into hormone replacement. Okay. That's the thing. Hormone replacement, especially in women. A lot of women get misdiagnosed and a lot of women get put on anti-anxiety anti pills for no reason. And it's, and it really, they should have their hormones checked out. Okay. So another public service announcement, by the way. <laughs> What once once we're once we're talking about your business and the gym, what's your opinion of people bringing phones into the gym and taking mirror selfies and <laughs> that's just the way it is now. I mean, yeah, you know, honestly, I don't really see any problems with it. I mean, I don't get people coming up to me going, "This person's videoing or this person's taking pictures." No, it's the norm. It really is. It's the norm nowadays. Yeah, it's the norm. Do you go to the gym? No, I'm not very good. <laughs> What's that? I said I'm not very built. Oh, uh, it's all right. You could be you could be built like this guy right here. <laughs> yeah. The, ne I'm, I'm, the next time I'm in Florida, if I'm ever in Florida, I'll have to visit by one of your gyms. Oh, absolutely. We'd love to have you. Well, I'll take you through See a personal training session. I'll I'll personal train you. <laughs> You'll probably kill me. Oh no, no, no. It's so that's that's the other misconception. You ever heard the no pain, no gain? No, it's everything's blood flow. Stretch out, get your get your muscles pumped up with blood, but that's it. You don't have to go crazy. You don't have to be sore the next day. I'm people are amazed on how little I work out, but I just do the right things consistently. Okay, that's all you got to do. Eat healthy, be consistent with your with your workouts. You know, it's only a half hour. I work out like a half hour a day. Today I worked out for a half hour. And then the wife and I went for a walk over the Bel Air Bridge over here. So that was like a two-mile walk in the morning. It was a nice morning out. So, but we didn't go, we didn't run. We didn't run. We didn't, I don't, I don't bench press. I don't squat. Okay. I mean, you don't have to do all that. It's the biggest misconception ever. People overtrain. That's a thing. Too much training is bad for you. Okay. People, people who say, oh, I work out for three hours a day. They could be so much. They don't have to. I'm telling you right now, they don't have to. And before we wrap up, I just want to know two things. Uh, first one is, what's your fondest memory of working in the wrestling business? Um, you know, probably, probably the story I told you was the first match I had in WCW with with Stunning Steve Austin, because they got me hooked. Because I said, oh, my God, I'm with somebody who knows what they're doing. They're professional. You know, it, it, it really opened my mind. I went, I got excited. And it's very hard to get me excited. Like, I got excited. I went, oh, my God, I want to do this. Actually, <laughs> great story. So after that night, 
we, it was, um, there was a tag team called the Southern Posse. I don't know if you ever heard of them. Uh, Fidel Sierra, the Cuban assassin, was there as well. And we all got in the van leaving Dothan, Alabama. I was so jacked up. I get in the van and I just blurted it out. Oh, my God, that was great. Did you see how the crowd yelled for me? <laughs> it was bad. It was so bad. And the looks on the guy's faces, they looked at me like I was crazy. I don't blame them. <laughs> I was so psyched up. Kind of like that time I was telling you about Eric Bischoff psyched up after the match. He was so psyched up. He was so happy. It was great. I mean, that's it, awesome. You know, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. You know? Hey, did you hear the crowd? They were yelling for me. That was great. That's awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, why not? Have fun. You know, don't take yourself so seriously. You know? <laughs> but yeah, I definitely marked out for myself that day. <laughs> <laughs> the, the second part was that I think you might have answered this already, but like, have you got any regrets in the business? Obviously, you told me earlier you regret getting rid of your gear. Have you got any regrets other than that? Um, I regret not having the passion for it. I regret not having the drive for it. I should have studied more. I should have studied more film and more tape. Um, I remember being in Puerto Rico and I remember somebody had an ECW tape and I was watching the moves they were doing in ECW, stealing their moves and doing them in, well, not stealing them, just, just copying them and just doing them in Puerto Rico. And I remember the old timers like Ellen Vader would walk up to me and he just goes, oh my God, you got some really good stuff out there because he never seen it either. So what I should have done was I should have watched more. Got I should have been a tape trader like some of those guys were back then, you know, trading tapes. And I, I didn't get it. You know, it, it's like a it's like a professional athlete today. They're watching film all the time. You know, what, that's what I should have done. I should have been watching film. You know what I mean? And I definitely should have been working on promos more. My promos were horrible. I mean, that's one thing. That's one thing. The Malika, That's one thing. He never taught me. He never taught me how to do a promo, but. That wasn't his job. It would that would be my job. I mean, I don't I don't put that on him. I mean, there's some schools that do that, but that's still on me. I should have. You still got to accept responsibility for who you are and what you do. I mean, I wasn't good enough to make it all the way. I was good enough to get to the show, but not consistently stay at the show. Okay. I mean, if I had the attitude that I have now, with if I had that same attitude back 20 years, 25 years ago, I'm pretty confident I would make it. I really believe that because I would do the right things now. I wouldn't say stupid things. You know, if they told me not to work outside the ring, I wouldn't work outside the ring. <laughs> okay. I mean, I would listen to these people. <laughs> okay. Not just do, not just do my own thing and think, Oh, uh, I can get away with it. It's me. You know what I mean? So. But, but still life is good. You're in a good place now. You're enjoying. Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah. Business, you know? Today's my, today's my 10 year anniversary. With my wife. Um, what's funny is we're not married. I call her my wife, but we've been together for 10 years. I love her to death. She's, I, every, I love being with her. I can be with her all day, every day. I see guys, I see guys who just hate being with their wives. I love it. I love being with my wife. She works out with me. We go on walks together. We ride our bikes everywhere. We, like tomorrow, we're going on vacation down to a to a place called Sanibel Island, and uh, we're going for a couple of days. We take our bicycles with us. 
we roam the island in our bicycles. So we get some fit, health and fitness done while we're on vacation. And it's fun. And I cannot tell you how many times I see, especially females, they'll look at us as we're riding our bikes going, you can just see it in their face that they wish they were doing that with their husbands. So if you're a husband, do something nice with your wife. Go on a bike ride. Do Go for a walk together. Believe me, these women love it. Okay? I'm assuming you have more guys watching your show than girls, right? The, de the, the female demographic is not very strong on this podcast. <laughs> guys, guys, I'm telling you, you, your relationship will be tenfold so much better if you just do something with your wives. Don't sit in your garage all day and, and just stay away from her, okay? And believe me, if your wife's over 40, I'm telling you, they need hormone replacement. They all do. They're all nuts. <laughs> I mean, believe me, my, I'm telling you, all the women that I know that do it, they're happy as can be. And these women are in their 40s and 50s. They're happy. Very happy. I'm telling you, it's, it's a thing. You'll, over the next probably 10, 15 years, you'll see how this is coming out. I'm telling you. Yeah. So we've learned some wrestling stories and we've learned some good health tips today. Enjoy the show. <laughs> oh, yeah. I hope I, hope I help thanks, somebody. Thanks for your time. I What's hope that? so, too. And I'm sure you will. I said thanks for your time and I'm sure you will. Oh, no problem. I, I enjoyed this. This is my first podcast. Um, I've never been asked to do one before. And um, you know what? I really enjoyed it. I'm glad. I hope I, I hope I hope I hope I enlightened a few people and I hope I help some people in their health. I really do. Yeah. And if anybody wants to get a hold of me, I'm going to I'm going to give my email out. OK, is that, is that all right? Yeah. Yeah. And I can right. put it in this video if people want to contact you. Yeah, yeah. Put it in the video. Ed at goldsgymtampa.com. If you're interested in some sort of tips on your health and fitness, I'll be more than happy to help you. I really will. Yeah, that's perfect. Ed, thanks so much. Oh, thank you, Maurice. I appreciate it, buddy. Thanks, man. All right.